Welcome back. I want to take a quick second to tell you about our sponsor of today's episode of North American Deer Talk, CNE Wildlife Products. CNE Wildlife is a trusted leader in biotechnology for the cervid industry. They offer microencapsulated bacteria products that are research supported through Texas Tech University. With more than 30 years of experience and commitment to all natural probiotics, this product line continues to be a mainstay in herd management programs across North America. And the reason is simple. They are passionate about the cervid industry. They have products for elk, whitetail, muleys, red deer, and more. With products ranging from Fawn Paste and Electromax to Guardian Plus, Whitetail Energy Pack, Jumpstart, or their ever-popular Top Score Extreme, they just flat out work. We've been a CNE Wildlife product user for more than 15 years. To learn more about CNE Wildlife, check out episode 54 of North American Deer Talk, a probiotics masterclass with CNE owner Sadie Horrocks, and give her a call today to start using the products we do here. Hey, it's the Deer Wizard, host of North American Deer Talk. I want to tell you about a great new advertising and research platform that we've developed for you, CWDbreeding.com. You know, as the deer industry continues to mature and develop around chronic wasting disease and its known genetic heritability, resources like CWDbreeding.com become essential tools for deer managers across the country making decisions about their herds. I really wanted a platform that excelled at hosting GEBV and codon markers in a filterable and searchable manner, but I also wanted to have high quality pictures, videos, ages, scores, NADAR numbers, and a whole host of other information to go along with that. This database puts everything in one easy to find location and allows you to access the industry's greatest genetic resources. I look forward to seeing all the great bucks that people have to offer in one easy-to-find location, cwdbreeding.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of North American Deer Talk. This is episode 72. We're doing Black Label Whitetails with Ryan Halfman. Ryan, how are you today? I'm doing well, Josh. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Um, you know, we've had a pretty, and, and and people always tell me, don't start the podcast talking about weather. Well, guess what? I'm going to talk about weather. Um, we finally got a little bit of snow. So we've had a pretty mild uh, winter here in Pennsylvania and like not a lot of snow cover. Um, and that can be really hard on, in my opinion, that can be hard on deer or hard on pens mostly. Uh, we're fortunate that we have our numbers kind of pretty low over the winter we try to run low numbers over the winter um but that snow cover keeps our pastures not mud right because all you know that if it's not freezing which a lot of times it's not we've had tons of days in the 40s those hoofs are scissors right and they just dig down in the mud and they they clip those um tops of those grass clumps off and you know of course the clover's gone because they've picked it all off after you know three months of open ground and Anyway, we got a little snow. Uh, of course, it's melting into mud, which I'm not happy about. But we got a little snow cover, so I'm today's a good day. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. 
anyway, um, if you're uh, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, make sure you follow us over on our other social media pages, Facebook, uh, Instagram, etc. Uh, if you if you like any of the shows, share them out. And um, again, we we appreciate you. So Ryan, I um, I always find it interesting uh, just to kind of talk about you know how people got into doing deer and uh, kind of their their origin stories. So if, if you would um, just give us a little bit of background on uh, how Black Label Whitetails came to be, when it came to be um and uh share that that origin story with us if you would sure yeah i'm happy to um so i purchased <clears throat> purchased this property back in 2015 and i i ended up here i was simply renting the house while i planned to build a new house i had a lot um out in the country and once i got here and was renting it i was like hey i could i can buy 40 acres and a house and buildings and a guest house for less than I can build a house for right now. And it's a cool, cool chunk of property. It was, it was fenced in. There was 35 acres fenced in as one big pen. Mm. And there was a handful of deer. I think there were seven or eight deer on the property. So I ended up buying it and then looked into what I needed to do to get right with the state because the, the previous license had lapsed and, it was kind of in this weird in between stage of previous owner passed away and um, <clears throat> things weren't, weren't kept up the way they needed to be with the state. So I had to um, start over with a clean herd once I looked into, into deer farming. And uh, cause originally I thought, well, it's just cool. It's just cool to have deer in the backyard that I can go out and see whenever. And um was was guided to attend the United Deer Farmers of Michigan event in spring by the DNR. And um, I went there and met some people, talked to a few people, and <clears throat> realized there's there's more of a business to it than I ever dreamt there was. So, so I did some more homework. We ended up um, buying seven bread doughs that were delivered in in the uh, December of 2016. And, uh, I ask even funnier, I'll back up a little bit. <clears throat> so I, I reached out to Paul Eckert, Kyle Eckert's dad and said, Hey, I'd like to like to tour your farm and, and check things out. And, um, I've been told, you know, you guys do things by the book and I was referred over to you. So he's like, well, we can't make it, uh, this weekend cause we're going to be going on vacation. And I was like, Oh, Hey, me too. Where are you, where are you heading to? And so we're going to Costa Rica. And I said, well, no kidding. I'm yeah. going to Costa Rica too. And at this point he's probably thinking, all right, this guy's crazy. He's stalking her. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, we ended up staying uh, right next door at resorts right next to each other. So we actually, I met and developed that relationship with them on a vacation in Costa Rica and talked about genetics there that was my first like real in-depth conversation about breeding deer hmm. so thought that was cool but that's just, so wild you you couldn't you couldn't make that up no it was just meant to be so um so i purchased this farm it used to be circle j ranch um bob jones started this back in the 80s and he bred deer raised deer but then when the regulations changed in 2002 
it, I mean, he had 350 deer out there running in one big pen. There wasn't, wasn't a way that he was going to be able to double tag and keep up with the new standards. So, so he opened it up to hunting and, uh, anyway, he had a, he had a really good operation. Like I was telling you before, uh, Mike Nedry bought his first deer here. So I've got some semen off of Mike Nedry's deer and I'm, I'm looking to reintroduce the original Jones genetics back onto this, this property. That'd be kind of cool. Very. Um, okay. So I just, you can fill in the gap for me. So you buy this property. You're okay with the, the deer that are there, but you're not, you're not like, you didn't set out to be a deer farmer. I didn't. And I, but okay. I was, okay. I have, this is great. You know, I already have the fence up. I just right. throw it here and it's good to go. Right. And, and I had my inspection. They're like, well, you know, this is not quite 10 feet here and you got vines growing here and layers of fence. Cause it was, you know, I've seen lots of fence that was built in the eighties. So, um, once I realized all the ins and outs of deer farming and breeding and what I needed to do and visiting a few places, my dad and I decided we're going to build all new pens. So it was basically like starting from scratch, but I had a built in old perimeter, which right. gave double fence effect. Mm. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, it, it's, it's neat that, uh, that that was there and I, I I could you know if I it's a little hard for me to kind of look back and say oh I would have I would have done xyz right but like I could I could see myself just kind of as like a avid hunter or outdoorsman being like oh there's some there's some deer in the backyard of this property and it'd be awesome to have some deer back there just to you know feed him and kind of just hang out watch and so on and so forth and then uh you know the fact Number one, the fact that the DNR uh, sent you over to United Deer Farmers of Michigan, that's awesome, right? That's how that's how the relationship between private individuals and, and DNRs, et cetera, uh, should operate. Uh, and then I can't, I can't get over the Costa Rica uh, connection there with Eckert. Uh, just incredible that that, that happened. Tell me, um, tell me about the... Uh, tell me about the conversation that you guys had on the veranda or the beach or wherever you were having that first genetics talk, um, how your, how your brain felt. The one, the one thing I specifically remember is Paul, first off, he got fried sitting there at the pool talking to me. I remember he was oh. beat red, but uh, it was March Madness. So I remember we got together and watched the Michigan basketball game. Gotcha. Um, he, I remember he said he bred with thunderstorm time and time again, and he kept getting bucks and kept getting bucks. And he said, um, but I kept breeding for it. Cause if you get a thunderstorm doe, you've really got something. Hmm. And, uh, skip four couple years. I ended up getting a couple thunderstorm does off of him. So you pried those out of his hands, huh? I did. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. <clears throat> um, so I got to dig deeper. So outside of the thunderstorm conversation, give me give me a sense of um, because it sounds to me like this was the first conversation that you had about um, not necessarily deer farming generally, but like kind of the more nuanced parts of maybe animal health or breeding or things like that. Of course, you're you're 
And I, I don't know what your exposure was at that time. I mean, like you hear about AI for the first time and how you can make these genetics and stuff. And like, is your brain just swimming around like on the beach? Oh, yeah. My head was spinning thinking of, <clears throat> of yeah, the artificial breeding, the uh, even talk of embryos at the time. And I thought, are you serious? What, you know, what's this all about? And, um, but more so my mind being business minded, I was, crunching numbers of okay so if i bought this dough for this price let's assume that she's going to give me a buck and a dough each year I, on the flight home i started to write up a business plan and projections of if i invest this much money into the year what could i potentially get and we talked about the average cost of feeding per year and and all those things really stuck with me so i i started crunching the numbers to see if i thought i could make it work and and of course you don't think about the challenges of being the new guy getting in and you got to be able to make the sales to the ranches and, and different things and get your name out there. Um, that, that all came with time and by attending different shows and meeting a lot of people and building relationships and suddenly your name's floating out amongst a lot of people. Um, I want to hop back to the, the uh, business aspect. Cause I, I find that um, an interesting take and I think, at least from what I've seen, generally speaking, I, I got in, uh, number one, I was super young. I was broke. I had no money. You know, I was a high school kid. So like I, I didn't have any money. And, uh, of course I, I was spending on things that I probably shouldn't be. And deer were just not one of those things at the time. Um, it didn't take me long to kind of buckle down and, and want to get more serious about it, but I did not I did not get in um, with a very business focused mind. So um, I think that's important. And I think it's really a, I think it's a really key part of what we do. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people overlook it, right. Because they have this, it, there's just this emotional connection that people have with deer. Um, I, I'm not, I mean, I kind of know why. And I, of course I get it because I'm a, that's all I do. I'm a deer junkie, but talk, talk us uh, through a little bit about that more analytic side of things and how you approached uh, some of that stuff. Um, I may have thought that I knew what I was doing at the time, but looking back, it's like, I was just throwing darts and hoping it would stick and um, didn't really know what I was looking at pedigree wise. Paul helped me a lot. And I remember when he and his wife, Dana, came down to visit my place, walked it, showed me their thoughts about pen layouts, and he brought pedigree sheets. I remember when he left after we went through that first day looking at pedigrees, my head was just spinning. Mm. I was like, I don't I don't know what I'm getting into here. <laughs> now it's like it, I look at them and I feel like I do nothing but look at your pedigree sheets. So, um yeah, it was, I was interested in knowing what I, what the potential return could be and understanding that there was a, there's a bunch of different levels of the market that I could enter into and whether or not I was trying to chase the high end breeding dollars or I wanted to look at, okay, as a bare minimum, if I'm just operating within the raise them, sell them to a ranch, the stocking end of it was kind of a guaranteed return and there's, and there's no guarantees because as you know, deer die yeah they're animals yeah um any and previous to this you had no background in 
cattle or sheep or goats or anything like that, correct? I I grew up working on a dairy farm. So <laughs> you I mean, I would ride my bike a couple miles to my uncle's dairy farm and milk cows on the weekend and um did a co-op there through high school. So every morning I was going to the heifer farm and mm-hmm. mixed so I, I have some experience, but not not with medicating or doing anything anything uh special with handling. Do you think that's helped? I think it's helped. It's translated some. Um, my dad's experience with raising cattle has has come in handy. He's kind of my deer whisperer on the farm. As gotcha. far as I'll give him a list of, hey, I need need these deer in this pen and these deer in this pen, and he just takes his time. He's out there and sorts them out. And um, can you talk about that more about you know how like your maybe your family interacts or you know your kind of not necessarily your relationship with your dad, but uh, th- that kind of dynamic on the farm and maybe if that's meaningful or not to you. Yeah, it's, um, I think more, I think it's more meaningful to me than, than the business side of it is what, what we're able to take away as grandpa Dave's out here every day, you know, taking care of things or if we're gone on a weekend, he's, he's here to cover for us, but to have him out here and to see what we've built, side by side over the course of the last six, seven years is, uh, it's kind of cool. Made a lot of memories out there and continue to do it. Uh, I had Tegan on here. You, you met a minute ago and yeah. <clears throat> I packed up her, uh, her latest LOL doll, <laughs> buckled it to the ranger and, uh, introduced it to some of the deer and, 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 uh, the deer gave her doll some kisses. So, sure. I mean, you can't put a price tag on, on that. No, nope. so. and and you uh you're adding to your crew, aren't you? We're adding to the crew. Yes, yeah. we got uh, got some more help being born onto the farm. <laughs> <laughs> July this. That's awesome! Congratulations. Thank you. Um, yeah, I uh, I I always enjoy. I I got a couple pictures over here on the wall of my girls, and you know, two of them they're holding holding fawns, and of course they you know you can't. <laughs> that that joy uh you you, you can't you, you said it you can't put a price tag on it and um it's a it's a good way of life right like it's just a good experience for those kids i mean there's so much garbage in this world that just mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know i see it all the time and i just am like mm, where are we at right like right. uh different topic of of talking about society and stuff we, we won't do that today but <laughs> it's it's um it's really great to have you know, kids interact on the farm and certainly to be able to do that with your family is, is awesome. Um, yeah. We have a, we have a field trip. I'm going to see it. I'm curious to see how this plays out. We have a field trip coming out in May. How many kids you got coming? Um, It's fairly small class. I'm, I think it's going to be 20 kids or less. I hope so. I hope so too, but <laughs> <laughs> we're going to run them in shifts on the ranger and try to keep everybody sure. in We'll, yeah. we'll show antler sheds and talk about deer and I should have some fawns up in the barn by then too. So, oh, yeah. yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, that's what I usually do. I usually put a big stack of antlers out and then, you know, take however many I can manage, um, out in the pen, see some, see some deer and then come back, mm-hmm. swap out the group. The antlers are always, always great. And like, um, you may raise some, some bigger yearlings than me, but I always have like 
little i got some little dinky things laying around and i got a pile of them and i i let the kids kind of pick out a antler and you know take home or they you know might have some cutoffs or whatever and uh they just their minds are just like oh my gosh look at i got you know and eh, you know if we can save some of that for you know the future generation maybe one of them would be a deer uh, a deer hunter or a deer farmer one day and that's all good stuff exactly yeah um so you rebuild the farm or you start rebuilding the farm right yes so i mean go ahead yeah starting out i didn't have the funds to go out and buy the top deer in the world and um uh, heck, I had struggled to come up with money to put up the first pen. So I had a plan of what I wanted the layout to be. I built one pen in the middle of 35 acres. And the day before deer were getting delivered, we got eight inches of snow. And I'm thinking, how's, how's Kyle going to get back here with the truck and 30-foot trailer? And anyway, he got back close to where the gate was and ended up burying his truck. And I'm, I got my seven bread doughs on the, on the back of his trailer. And we, we hooked up different trucks and we're yanking them around for probably an hour before we got them situated and got the deer off the trailer. So I'm like already nervous. It's deer delivery day. Um, but, but since then we've, we kept adding on and getting reinspections from the state. And, um, so now we have 12, 15 pens out there and, we're up to 105 deer. We sold quite a few this past year. So it's been cool to see it grow and morph over the course of the last few years. And just the the quality of the animals that we're able to put out, I'm always proud to see. And um, I don't know. I've, I heard you mention on a previous podcast the debate about selling bucks at two or waiting till they're three. And I've had some people in my ear about maybe waiting till they're three because I've I've predominantly sold when they're two and had some monster two-year-olds that I've, you know, I sit back and think and reflect and it's kind of kick myself for not seeing what they would have been the following year. Yeah. My, um, my would have been's have, I paid the price for those. So going back to looking at it from a a business standpoint, I, I think it's really important just to just run the numbers, right? Now, if you if you put yourself in a position where you can um where you can stomach the loss, that's fine, right? Or if you're if you if you have it baked into your business plan that um the gain that you get outweighs that loss, that could be financial or not. Um that's fine. Right. But like, I just, I continue to convince myself, at least on my operation, right? Like if I have space, I think there's nothing wrong with trying to manage a, a pen of three-year-olds. Right. Okay. But like for, for me, I just, number one, I don't have the space. So all it takes, and I'm, you know, like if I got a group of 10, uh, 10 two-year-olds that I can, um, that I can put out on a ranch and I decide to keep those, like it only takes one loss and that that kind of kills that margin, right? Like we're all, the margins are pretty good, but I don't sell those. Right. So <laughs> my, my money is made through selling my bucks. 
if I sold those, it'd probably be different, but like, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. And, uh, generally speaking, I've trans, I personally have transitioned into cleaner deer, which, and they end up being smaller. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the margins continue to swell on the smaller deer. Um, it's, it, it, I'm sorry. It's just, it's too hard, um, not to sell two-year-olds for three, 3,000 plus dollars a piece. It just is right. Yeah. Anything above that is like, I mean, you can, you can just change out the word deer for another species. And like, if, if you go to a cattle ranch and you tell some, you tell a cattle rancher, and I'm talking even the big operations or especially them, and you say to them, I may, I make $2,000 per animal. They're going to fall over in the ditch. They're like, <laughs> what? And we should start transitioning some of the cattle ranchers to raising, raising deer, but I think it's a brainer. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I so think that's yeah. the exact same, same train of thought that I've been on with, with selling them at two. Um, and even this year I had the TB test this fall and I ended up selling half of my yearlings cause I got really good money for my yearling bucks. That's this awesome. year. Yeah. But again, it was all my overhead machine head sons that now what i have nothing to show out of them but it's that's all right they got it is moved and sold and you didn't have to test them you didn't have to worry about potential loss um i guarantee your farm generally will be better for it because you have less animals there right so you have more space your health issues uh you know because let's be frank it doesn't matter if you have deer you're going to have some health issues those Mm -hmm. people reduce because you have less animals uh, feed bills less like that's a win man that's a win 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 so i think that's yeah but i, yeah, but I don't get to see them <laughs> so. do you uh do you cut antlers uh most of the time i do okay then you got nothing to say over there <laughs> i get it. it the what ifs for the following year are really hard because and, and you know, you can wish your life away, uh, being a deer farmer, uh, all just, this is a, a, a little inside baseball for, for those listening, live in the moment, right? Like don't, don't wish for the next year, because I, I promise you, you turn around 20 years have gone by and you, you still haven't achieved some of the goals that you wanted to, like there, there is no, there is no, uh, finish line in this game. All right. It's, it goes on forever. So no, that's good advice because I catch myself. Me too. As soon, as done breeding, as soon as we get done breeding, it's like, all right, can't wait to see what crosses we get on the ground in spring. And then they're born, and it's like, I can't wait to see what this buck looks like a year and a half from now. And and man, I can't wait to breed this dofon that I just just yep. born to this buck to get this cross. And and you're right, you end up wishing it away and looking yeah. to the future always. I uh. I keep blank pedigree sheets in my little lab there. So when I'm mixing up my milk and it's cooling back down to temp, I I write out dream I write out dream deer of the buck fawns that are out in the pen and the doe fawns that are in the barn. And uh there's nothing wrong with that. You just know <laughs> I, I think the uh I think the general point is is that like it's you know, try to try to interject some of that that business sense into those kind of decisions much like your 
your yearling comment on the TV testing, like that's just, that's just a smart move, right? It just, I don't know. That makes perfect sense to me. I, I, I hope that people take away from, from that, you know, like, cause it's, that's, that's important. Those kinds yeah. of decisions, like you're not worse off for that, you know? Yeah. Hey, you're, you're, I'm, you're, I'm not brave. Up, right. Cause you don't get to watch them grow, but yeah, I'm not brave enough to run my bucks through the shoot. Yeah, I'm just going to dart y'all. I can cut you, give you antler drop, whatever. And um, so, yeah, I didn't want to dart all the yearling bucks out there this year. I mean, I dart move them, but I'd have to dart them just to reverse them and take blood. There are uh, – so the, the Canadians, they don't, they don't use um, – they don't use dark guns like we do. Um, it, it's mostly because of their regulatory environment around, um, just medications generally. Uh, so they use their systems a ton. Uh, and it's the same thing, you know, like there's, there's some old school, uh, folks, of course they become less than yes, uh, by the years, but some old, old school folks in, um, you know, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and they, they put them big bucks in the chute. And, and I mean, big, like, you know, what I'm talking about like monsters. Of course they have some, they have a couple of people working with them, but, um, funny story. I had, I had cut a buck. There was a buck that mashed up one of his drop tines. Um, I don't know, August. So I, I had kind of doctored him up. Um, I peeled his velvet, but his antler started to dis disintegrate and, I couldn't, I couldn't sell them. So I kept them and we were doing a, like a, a darting seminar for new dart. So we darted him and I put him out with some fawns. Well, I, anyway, we cut his antlers. So I ran and he's a big, he's a big body two-year-old. So I ran him in the barn with the fawns to do some separating. And I put him in the chute uh, to give him some vaccine. And of course I had, I got some pretty good sized does, man. I put him in and I have a, I have a junior and uh, he, he filled that thing and I was by myself and, you know, I kind of like peeked under and opened that thing up and like, you know, his back sticking that far above the thing. And I'm just like, oh man, I'm in, I'm in for a ride. And I like, you know, I jump on my, trying to get the back restraint down and, um, he's a big boy, real big boy. So I yeah. think you're set up to handle him. It's not bad, but I'm, I'm much like you. I'm a, once I get past a one and a half, like I really don't put him in the barn much. Um, yeah, I yeah. I mean, three-year-olds. I have I have a couple of does that my mama handler has. It's all handle. You got some big girls out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get those ones. You gotta you open the wedge. You gotta push them through because they're they're stuck. Yeah. They're so fat. <laughs> um, uh, talk a little bit about those those some of those older does and and uh, I know you have a couple girls there that you consider kind of special to your program. We've got a couple special ones. Um, so I'm, I really I, I have this attachment to those initial dolls that I bought. Of those seven, I bought four of them. My dad bought two and my brother bought one. So like we all went in together and picked out our pedigrees and um so my dad bought a thunderstorm doe, the thunderstorm Barry Bonds doe, and she didn't take the AI that first year. 
but she was backed up to a white buck up at Eckert's. We backed up all of my AI, all those does that we AI'd to a white buck. I ended up with four white fawns that first year. And one of them was Ho-Ho's mom. And uh, so that's Pearl. And she was a firecracker of a doe fawn. She was tough to bottle feed, didn't want (laughs) to... with anybody um but they're that thunderstorm doe she's just huge and all of her i can go out and pick out her son every year every year she's having 12 pound plus fawns and they're just just huge um but then uh of course i ended up with machine head and overheads mom in that first group and they were they were some of the first fawns born on the farm i bred the masterpiece because i thought I saw a deer and wildlife stories episode and I thought masterpiece was just a cool, clean, beautiful year. So, um, I got lucky there, you know, people, I think they categorize me as a typical, more leaning, more typical in my breedings. And I'd say it was, I can't really take credit for it. Um, it just, just the way it all played out. Um, but I am, I do really like the typical look and the big frames. And so I was extremely blessed to have machine head and overhead as, as my first deer. Those are the bucks behind you, aren't they? Yes. Yep. So if you're watching on the video, uh, over Ryan's, uh, right shoulder is, uh, machine head. This is overhead. Overhead. Sorry. I'm backwards. This is machine head as four year old. Gotcha. Um, yeah, look at the brow tines. <laughs> That's so nuts. I, I know you can't because they're they're back and above, but I, I've seen those guys in person. And uh, my goodness, they got freaking foot-long brows. It's nuts. Yeah. yeah. Super cool. <clears throat> um, so those are out of your first, like your first round of fawns that were born on the farm. Yeah. Yep. That's so awesome. So, I mean, and I didn't even, I'm looking at, I'm looking at pictures on Facebook of everybody posting pictures of their deer on that first year. And I'm growing them out in the pen and uh, I'm like, man, you know, they look nice, but they're just not that big. You know, cause I'm seeing everybody else's pictures that are at the right angle. And uh, I sent a picture to Kyle Eckert and he's like, dude, they're, they're big. And I had no idea, but took them to Nadifa that year. Yeah. Oklahoma, I believe it was. Also. And uh yeah, they took first place and third place at, at Nadifa for typical yearlings. And I was like, oh, all right, beginner's luck. Here we go. Yeah. So nice. just kind of see that and then that hooked you, I bet. That really hooked you. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, deer farming thing easy. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. Um no, that's that's cool. You know, when you have that, um, everybody categorizes success differently, but when you have that initial success, um, it's uh, it feels good. You know, um, mm-hmm. a lot of times you get smacked around at first, and of course, those days come regardless. Um, knock on wood, I've, I've had a couple of really good years, and I'm just I, I'm I'm waiting for something. I don't know what it'll be, but it will be. Um, yeah. No, that's that's awesome that those are uh, the first the first crew of deer uh, out of there, and 
uh, it, it, it's interesting just, you know, your reaction, like, yeah, I guess they're okay. And of course you hadn't, you hadn't really figured out how to take a picture like everybody else was. And, you know, they're, yeah, they're all right. And then you like, it, Kyle, Kyle set you straight right away. He's like, dude. He's like, dude, you got to take the FIFA. It's like, yeah. now, nah, oh, you, have you seen this buck and this buck? They're, they don't have a chance. And so, yeah, that's so good. Um, uh, speaking of uh, Nadifa, so you're a you're a board member on Nadifa. Uh, we yep. got a comp, we got a conference coming up um, here in uh, you know a little bit. Uh, t- talk to us a little bit about um, United Deer Farmers in Michigan and you know Nadifa and kind of how that was maybe your next uh, your next step into you know being involved, not just in the being a deer farmer but you know wanting to participate in the organizations how that kind of come to be so um i am current president of the united deer farmers of michigan and i also sit on the board of directors for nadifa and that all came to be kind of organically through relationships with the old old board members on the united deer farmers of michigan and um they suggest hey you know you're you're pretty level-headed for the most part, <laughs> you know, you could, you could handle some of this stuff. And I, I was able to go to the VC fly-in with Doug back in 2019. Um, and I really, really enjoyed getting more involved as I looked at it as a way to ensure that the future for us deer farmers, the, op- the environment that we operate within is protected and continues to be a welcoming environment for us so that we can all just continue to do what we love. It was, um, I'm not sure if that was, I don't think that's like the first time that we met, but it was the first time that we had an opportunity to kind of interact uh, in a a more personal way for outside of being like, Hey, how are you? You know? And uh, what did you, what did you think? Cause that was my first fly in as well. Um, What did you, that that was a big group like there was 25 of us or something like that like that was a big group what'd you think of that overall experience overall i thought it was a really cool experience um i mean really neat to one be able to spend that much like for me to just go and meet doug roberts at his house and jump in the truck with him and have this time to just soak up information been around it forever um one i tried to take big advantage of that and to just be a sponge and take in as much as I could. But then, then to go there and get to Washington and, and walk through and meet and sit down with people and try to try to portray our industry in a way that try to make it relatable so that they understand where we're at. And, and that that's hard too. That was an eye opening experience because I mean, the people just shuffle in and out of there all day, every day. And it's, you, you just feel like, maybe just a number to them or just another meeting. But, but at the end of the day, things happened and um, we were able to get some, some good things accomplished there. Yeah. That's, that's a, I think that's a great take on it. Um, I love telling people about what I do. We do. Um, I will talk to anybody anytime about deer farming. And um it's it's really interesting to see kind of you know 
how how DC works, right? Like that's you're like you mentioned being a number, no doubt, right? It's like shuffling cattle into the feedlot and shuffling them out. Yeah. The, the next group is right behind you, coming in to do the same pitch. Here's what we are. Here's what we do. Here's why it's important, and so on. And um, we're super fortunate that um, we're deer farmers because, like, many times people don't even know what that is, but they're super intrigued because it, it's a it's a niche market, right? Um, and and I think that that helps, right? Of course, there's regulatory challenges that we have to discuss, but I um, I too thought that was a really interactive, you know, kind of environment and. Uh, your your comments on on getting to spend time with Doug is, is is spot on. You know, you get a guy that's been around for 30 years and, you know, you get a couple hour uh, car ride with him and then a couple days with him just watching how he works and listening to his, you know, his take on things and how he responds to questions and stuff. And that's that's awesome because we can only learn from, um, you know, other people. I, I had a similar experience and uh, in our state, you know, Glenn Dice has been a, a, a long time deer farmer and, you know, he, he got, uh, involved in our association and, um, on a state level and a national level level, uh, before I did. So like I benefited from, um, kind of coming in underneath and just, you know, watching and learning, um, you can't understate that experience. And now, I, I feel like, you know, we're the freaking A team when Glenn and I walk into an office, we just, we know each other so well, and we can just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Right. And it's just, it's the, the knowledge depth there is, is, is pretty big. Um, not much that we don't know on the CWD front. We almost got through a whole show here on North American Deer Talk without saying CWD folks, but <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't do it. I had, to, I had to say it. Um, uh, give us the rundown on on Michigan before we we wrap up. I think you guys have a, a convention coming up real soon. We uh, do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, March 17th and 18th at the Ellison Place in Gaylord, uh, we have we have action packed from beginning to end. Friday, starting at three, things open up. Um, all Friday evening is going to be auctions, cornhole tournament, um, live music. Saturday, convention opens up. And we have our annual meeting at, starting at nine. Um, we have games, auction, lunch, dinner, more live music. So it's it's one that you don't want to miss. We put on a pretty good show and uh, love to see anybody there and support in any way that they can. That's awesome. Um, I just want to thank you for the work you do on uh, Nadifa and there in Michigan. It's It's important for um you know folks like yourself and and others to be involved as much as you can i i get it everybody has different levels of knowledge and different time restrictions on what they do but these uh these associations are important to participate in so uh you know thanks for your 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 service on that i i know that you uh you don't get paid we're all volunteers for these things so um you know it's always good to hear a hear a thank you so anyway thank you for that well thank you for the thank you and thank you for uh have me on the show again here. Absolutely. With that, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned for another episode of North American Deer Talk.